Welcome, everybody, to Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. We'll be kicking it here every other Friday, quenching your thirst for an insider's take to enhance your customer experience. So grab your drink of choice, kick back, it's Sippin' and Shippin' time. All right, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sippin' and Shippin'. I am your host, Brian Weinstein, and with me again this week, <laughs> it's, like I, it's like she cannot get away, Caitlin Pushtal. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. Are you trying to get away? Are you making any effort? <laughs> I am, actually. In lieu of the topic of conversation today, all of my responses will be automated, um, and I'm actually taking off for the weekend. So uh, as, as excited as I, as I am for the conversation and our special guests, I'm right. just going to go fully automated on this one. Well, because you, you've got to get out of Dodge. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> exactly. All right, and we have with us today from our very own engineering automation solutions team, Rob Shavinger and Terry Nidefer. How are you fellas yes. doing? Hey there, great to be a part of this. We don't have a lot of engineers on the program. As a matter of fact, I think it's pretty safe to say you two might be the first ever. No, I, no, no, I take that back. Andrew Bagwell was on our episode about a year or so ago. Not having engineers on a podcast may be the smartest decision you've ever made. <laughs> well, for, for uh, I do have to say that for a while, Terry and I were debating starting our own podcast called, <laughs> yeah, we were going to call it Shots with Robots, but yeah. you, guys, you guys were doing such a good job that uh, we decided to leave the heavy lifting to you guys. So. That's, That's great. awesome. Yes. Shots yes. with Robots. Bring yeah, it back, Brian, to the beverage yeah. reference, right? Always, always. Yeah, the problem with having engineers on the program is like it, it it's like Caitlin and I can't really go toe to toe on the intelligence level. And I'm not speaking for Caitlin because she's brilliant, but I'm I'm just saying I'm with you, Brian. <laughs> well the problem I've with having her. engineers is we can't go toe to toe in actually talking with people. So it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I've been in a couple of meetings where actually Caitlin had to take her shoes off to keep up with the math. So... That's what it is. <laughs> so I don't know, and Rob and Terry, you guys can figure out who to go first, but why don't we just start out with a little bit of introductions and backgrounds uh, with the two of you. Sure, I'll, I'll start us off. Uh, again, my name is Rob Shavinger. Uh, I've been with Ryder's automation team for about two years now. Uh, prior to that, uh, kind of a diverse experience, uh, both logistics, uh, other 3PLs, uh, manufacturing. Um, prior to joining with Ryder, I was with uh, uh, doing logistics and supply chain consulting for about seven years. So, um, you know, came apart, became a part of Ryder's automation team as, as Ryder took the initiative to really expand um, and, and try to create more and more opportunities for automation to, to help our customers out. So I uh, really enjoy being a part of it and looking forward to talking to you guys. And Tara? Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having us on. And, and yeah, Terry and I have uh, been with Ryder here. This is my fourth year. I've uh, been in uh, some form of third-party logistics, engineering, uh, continuous improvement, uh, lean solutions, et cetera, for uh, 18 years now. So, um, so yeah. Great. Awesome. And, and so this is a little bit of a different episode. A lot of our focus when we're speaking to out to our audience and bringing on guests is choosing around uh, a lot of marketing and parcel. And, and in some cases, there's uh, uh, shipping into, into international like EU and UK. And, and so this we wanted to go. There's a, a lot of buzz around automation. 
and we're hearing a lot of people talk about automation. And so we're a little kind of listening to brands talk about, you know, hey, we, we need to have automation, but is that really true? Like Rob, do you, when you're looking at brands and I, I mean, a lot of people just think everybody should have automation. Is that, is that true? Yeah, it's, it's interesting how it's sort of evolved. You know, the term automation um, has become uh, everyday vernacular nowadays where, you know, we're driving electric cars, we are using cell phone, you know, smartphones, we're uh, uh, 60 minutes episodes about the newest and greatest automation and, you know. 60 it, minutes it, episodes that you watch on your refrigerator, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting how it's evolved and, you know, automation has been a part of industry for, you know, probably 100 years, you know, Henry Ford and the first assembly lines and things like that. But um, it was really sort of segmented specifically more to the manufacturing sector for a long period of time. You know, one thing I always, I always say to people is that variation is the enemy of, of automation. And mm -hmm. for processes that are, are highly repeatable, um, that are being done, if you're, if you're manufacturing a million widgets a year, um, you know, I, one of one place I worked uh, manufactured again. Going back to sipping and shipping, they I worked at a company that manufactured wine corks, and right. we manufactured four billion wine corks a year. You know, it's just something that you could never do without automation. Right. Um, but within the the logistics and distribution world, there has always been so much variation that it's been hard to get automation up and going, um, and really make it financially viable. Um, yep. And then within the last 10 years, the amount of strides for automation have, have really gone through the roof and made them much more commercially available. So uh, it's something that has really become a new buzzword in the industry. And the, the toughest part is finding the right fit for, for every customer. Yeah. And I think there's that ROI component of when certain automation makes sense. And and I think there's sort of a dis... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I think there's sort of a belief that you're going to replace people with automation and it's going to protect you. So the automation is really geared to help the associates perform better and more efficiently. Yeah. There's, there's a ton of ways that, you know, we look at automation from a standpoint of actually making the job better and safer. Um, right. So when you think about a lot of the equipment, there's a lot of automated processes now that ensure that your hands are kept out of the way of moving parts or, you know, the, the, the parts of the, you know, process that could get hot or, or anything else that poses a danger can, can help automate those things. So, yeah, we, we look at automation a lot to help, you know, reduce back strains, reduce repetitive motion injuries. Um, that's a huge one. Um, we look at it a lot to make the process better so that the company itself is efficient and moving forward and, and hiring more people and expanding and those types of things. So, yeah, definitely automation is one of those things where it doesn't solve all your problems, but if you approach it correctly, it can definitely help you out. Yeah, I love to hear that. We know how important people are in our business um, and keeping people safe. So that's great to hear of using associates and automation in tandem. To Brian's point before, a lot of times I've I find uh, during the sales process, startup and emerging brands, they confuse um, bad processes or uh, a bad relationship with a 3PL with 
I need to replace that with automation. Like my next solution needs to be automated. Uh, Terry or Rob, whichever, whoever wants to take this one, can you tell us a little bit about Rob? Okay, Rob, can you tell us a little bit about some entry level, and I'm doing air quotes, entry level automations um, or simple investments that smaller brands can make early in the life of their brand? Yeah, I think that there's always value to be found. Usually the the more what I would call sort of uh, simplistic or, or commoditized type of automation are, are really there to replace repetitive tasks. If you mm -hmm. are, if you're, you know, building a bunch of shipping boxes every day, you know, can you get some automation that would, would have a, uh, the ability to, to erect the cartons automatically instead of a person who's spending eight hours a day taping boxes together. Um, if you have, uh, you know, if you're shrink wrapping a lot of pallets, you know, can you utilize a, a machine to help make that task that you're doing frequently during a given, you know, a given time period, can you use that to create time savings and efficiency gains for the operation? Uh, there's a lot of those kind of straightforward ones that, that can replace the frequent uh, activities and try to make that a little simpler. And those carry much lower price tags and can usually result on a better return on investment for some brands that are more emerging and, and maybe don't have the, the uh, maturity or, or the, 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 the consistent yeah. volume levels of, of others. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Rob. I think for a lot of the smaller, you know, customers, the ones that are emerging and, and growing, you know, the, the biggest thing about growth that I see with supply chain is, is the unknown. And so, you know, especially during those, you know, those, those fledgling years where you're getting off the ground or, or even into, you know, some of the later years, but still young in the life cycle. There's so much change, whether it's that you're deciding how you want to go into brick and mortar, um, whether it's you're deciding how you want your marketing campaigns within your e-com websites to function, those can all have a very, very different impact on the units per order and the overall profiles that your, you know, um, your, your supply chain is, is trying to fulfill, right? So point being there to, to Rob's point exactly, you know, you want to keep a lot of that entry-level automation very kind of compartmentalized, very flexible, very fluid, where you can kind of pick it up and move it, whether it be to a larger facility as you grow, whether it be because now you're shipping a whole lot more um, poly bags than boxes, or whether you're going the other way, all those types of things are, are going to change over the course of your, you know, a special, you know, um, especially the starting uh, years, right? So uh, keep it small. Yeah, uh, and you know it's interesting too because we have people that come in with preconceived notions that automation is the is the way to go. But I, I mean, we've we've even recently spoken with companies where there's just no ROI. What's the, what's the what's the point of using AMR or goods to person for an account when you're really not going to get any real ROI on the automation itself? And if you yeah. try to if you keep it simple to your point, those lower level activities that are meaningful, right? If you can, if you can make more boxes an hour, or if you can auto bag and an auto tape, you know, there you can get value without, without breaking the bank. And I, I think another major takeaway, especially as, as companies are going through that maturity cycle is you always want to develop good processes. You know, uh, Terry mentioned lean and, you know, a lot of continuous improvement, a lot of industrial engineering concepts are really process driven. And, and you want to develop good, solid processes 
and look for ways to automate those good processes. You know, a lot of companies will come to us and say, well, please, you know, we just need to put in a bunch of conveyor to move stuff around. But what you want to do is you want to make sure you're not just building infrastructure around bad processes. You want to make sure you've gone through and done uh, good evaluation and try to optimize your processes and then look for automation that can be a good augmentation on, on top of that. And, and so when you when you start to get into this, uh, you know what, Rob, when you get to maybe like a phase two level of automation, right, where you are talking about AMR uh, or goods to person, uh, you know, what are some of the metrics that you're looking for that you say, OK, this is the right solution or direction to go? There's a lot of different sort of sub segments of, of the of the supply chain automation world. You know, looking at it from the, the inbound and outbound side, the, you know, how do you get product out of containers you're getting from vendors and how do you get them loaded into containers that are going out to your end customer? Um, so there's, there's options to look at there. Uh, if you look at a general distribution facility, picking and, and the, the consolidation of orders, getting the right product together to go to the right end customer is usually the highest percentage of, of effort and labor associated with that process. And so that's usually where a lot of the, the automation focus starts. Um, you know, Brian, you mentioned AMRs, uh, uh, automated mobile robots. So what those have come and, and are now available to help um, in a lot of e-commerce type facilities are, you know, we're still utilizing people and their ability and, you know, their knowledge base to execute the picking part of the process. Yep. But what we wanted to automate were some of the non-value added steps in the process, the travel time, the walking, um, you know, things like that, that are, you know, are not adding value or not helping you get product out the door. Um, that's the type of stuff that AMRs are able to help. So, you know, yep. where there's a lot of technologies now where, where robots are there to hold and travel and transport product. Um, and it helps you get more throughput out with the same number of people, which is really the goal as you start growing and scaling up your, your, uh, yeah. your business. Yeah. And minimizing fatigue, right? I mean, exactly. the fatigue factor, right, exactly. No, that's, that's a great point. Yeah, and, and remember that, you know, historically automation, you know, and, and you know, it, it's evolved heavily, especially the last 10 years, but historically automation has meant bolting a bunch of conveyors and kind of going vertical with pick modules and different things like that that really, really, really restrict your ability to um, flex in the future. Um, right. You know, if you if you have to get a larger facility, let's say you're in 50,000 square feet and you decide to put in, you know, some type of bolted mezzanine on that's going to get you, you know, some square footage going vertical. At some point, if you keep growing, you got to get out of that facility. And now that thing is effectively a boat anchor. You know, it's just steel that has no value um, really to the next person. Whereas AMRs, now you can kind of you know pick those up and move with you. So a lot of the newer technology is a lot more flexible and a lot more um, growth capability. Um, another example there is is traditionally with those conveyor systems, I have an entire system that is all networked together. And when I need to grow, I hit a point that's kind of stair step where I have to replace motors, replace sorters, replace massive pieces of the whatever the, the bottleneck of that system is. Whereas with AMRs, I can just kind of add more AMRs and, and, and spread the space. So it's a much more flexible solution for the customers who do have, you know, unknowns in their supply chain, or they know they're going to be changing drastically over the next, yep. you know, five years. And, you know, sure. another, 
sorry about that, Kayla. Another, you know, another point on top of that is not just as you grow, but even as your business flexes throughout the year, you know, yeah. uh, a lot of e-commerce e companies are heavy, you know, leading up to the Christmas time. Um, you know, others might be seasonal in other seasons. And, you know, the, the term build the church for Easter Sunday, you know, if you're going with a heavy infrastructure, heavy steel-based uh, uh, automation strategy, you're going to have to build something that will handle capacities that you might not be facing on a day-to-day -day basis. So the more flexible you can see can really also add a, a lot of value. Makes sense. Okay, so we have level one, which is kind of low entry, low cost. It's for repetitive tasks, very little variance. So we're doing auto tapers, box erectors, level two. Yep. Now you're incorporating some lean concepts. You have some AMRs, uh, maybe some robotics. Now you're, you have good processes in place. Now, Terry, kick us into gear level three. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean Rob's really the expert on on level three. That's 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 getting really gnarly. That's getting into to some, <laughs> some, some really fun stuff, right? Terry doesn't have that um, level of clearance to talk about level to phase three. Level, <laughs> level oh, three unlocked. You, All in Rob. Yeah, we call it we call it DEFCON DEFCON three here. DEFCON three. No, yeah, I mean, I mean I, before sorry sorry Rob. Yeah, I was gonna say but, but before level three, you know, one thing I, I I would I would mention is for a lot of customers. I think there is a point between, you know, call it call it in phase two kind of where before you ever get into kind of a phase three automation discussion, you really want to squeeze as much as you can out of your WMS capabilities around clustering and batching. And okay. so, you know, clustering for, for anybody listening who, who doesn't know, that's where you're grouping multiple orders together and treating it as, as one order. So you're picking all of SKU A and you're putting one of them into box A, one of them into box uh, C, one of them into box G. Uh, and you may have 10 boxes on that overall cart or, or vessel that you're using. Batch picking is where I'm taking all the orders that are like a single unit and everybody's ordering, let's say, um, you know, the, the newest iPhone uh, 15, right? So they go out and buy that iPhone 15. I'm going to take all 20 of these orders. I'm going to go out and pick 20 iPhones, but they're all going into 20 different boxes. That's batch sure. picking. The point being, those technologies and how it effectively groups and does it logically, that's a huge step that if you really get that running correctly, that can actually give you more ROI while you're in that phase two um, world before you ever start jumping now into the, you know, the deep end that Rob will tell you more about. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to put on my nerd hat too much, but, you know, a lot of this stuff <laughs> it's is on, it's on, it's too late. might be too late, but, you know, a lot of this really is dependent on our data capabilities. And I think companies yep. know that their data capabilities grow as they grow. Um, and, and as you transition to the much more sophisticated automation opportunities that are out there, a lot of that is based off of data that is collected throughout the, yep. you know, the history of your organization and yep. really getting an understanding of what has happened in the past and start projecting what do we anticipate will happen in the future because that will drive you towards the right direction. But, yeah, you know, the, I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rob. Now, I was just going to say that, you know, the next step is where a lot of things have evolved in the last five or 10 years. Um, steps one and two are relatively low capital expenditure expectations. Um, as you transition to a more mature operation and, and start to see that your throughput uh, would, would warrant uh, additional capital expenditures, that's when you can really start to find optimization and efficiency gains um, by doing it. The, the number one area that that has evolved uh in the recent past has been the concept of goods to person so yep. in a traditional distribution environment 
you have the goods stored in shelves or racks or wherever you have stuff you have stuff stored and people go to the product to pick it and get it to the end customer uh, the evolution has been creating automated infrastructure and automated systems that will store the product and then bring the product to the person so we have we have automation types where we're able to store tens of thousands of SKUs, hundreds of thousands of items in a given area and the people that are responsible for doing the picking never leave their workstation because the broad the product is brought to them through an automated process so again like i was talking before the goal of this is to remove non-value added activities out of the processes yep. and and walking and travel and transportation is one of the major major culprits for that so these these automation options are are really doing a great job of bringing the goods to the person and avoiding the person having to get to the goods yeah and and i guess rob with each with each one of those steps right you could be you could be coupling different automation components together it could be a, a goods to person to to a put wall or or some sort of sortation system after that right but doesn't that you know with these brands right don't you you really need to be good and sure of the direction of your company moving forward before you start making investments right does it get more complicated if you if your business evolves and let's say you're 100 percent direct to consumer and three years from now you find yourself at 30 percent uh wholesale or brick and mortar isn't there a risk of going too early into those types of automation yeah there definitely is that's why you know you want to make sure that any decisions you're making are based off you know data driven you know factors um understanding the direction strategic you know a lot of times we'll spend We'll spend time with customers and, and understand their strategic objectives, you know, not just the numbers in the spreadsheet moving forward, but what is your strategic objective? You know, what do you expect to be doing the next five years? Yeah. Because by the time we're talking about this level of automation, we're talking about things that have return on investments in three to yeah. five year range um, and, and are really wanting to guide you to the next level um, uh, and, and into, the, into the future for what you're looking to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah, keep in, keep in mind, you know, that transportation is going to be two to three X the spend within the four walls of, of the warehouse as, as a general rule of thumb, right? So, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the future, especially for some of the, the, the smaller, you know, organizations out there, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, I think I'm going to be here and this profile is going to be there in three years or in five years and where that's going to move. It's another thing to say, yeah, but what if I now want to split my, you know, network so that I have a facility that's in the Midwest and I have a facility that's in the Southwest, right? Now, all of a sudden, I have half the space in that facility that I need, and now my automation looks quite a bit different because I'm fulfilling half the volume. So a lot of times, you know, the, the more, I think, important question that, that Rob is alluding to there is, is not just in the data, but also what if. So what if I all of a sudden do want to have a second facility? What if I want to ship into Canada tomorrow? What if tomorrow, you know, the, the carrier networks charge me twice as much, um, which, you know, you, you have a tendency of seeing with fuel costs as volatile as they are over the last several years. So all those different things are going to change. So I think the more you can say what if, what if, what if, and really vet those kind of worst case scenarios, you can really get an idea of what's going to happen to your automation because I guarantee you one of those what ifs is going to happen. 
Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing that engineers like more than uh, than unplanned variables. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes it fun, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, one of the things that we talk about all the time, and you know, I, I know we brought this up in our in our pre-call a little bit, was talking about for e-commerce brands specifically. The importance around Cubis scans. I mean, talk about yep. that because there there are definitely yep. some benefits there, and that's probably one of your phase ones, but yeah. it's probably a good one to highlight. Yeah, Cubis scan is important not to have a Cubis scan. It's important to have solid, solid data on your dimensions and weights. And a Cubis scan is a, is a tool to do that very effectively, very efficiently, and very accurately. So, you know, if, if I'm very accurate with a tape measure and a small, you know, scale, I can do the exact same thing that a cubis scan can do. Now, I do not want to do that several hundred times a day, right? And that's where a cubis scan comes in. Um, I mean, I don't even want to do it hundred times a day, right? That's where right. a cubis scan comes in. But the point being, the, the importance of a cubis scan is really right-sizing all that information for a lot of the downstream processes of the supply chain. So everything from how your storage structures are set up and making sure that they're storing efficiently, you know, um, if, if I can store twice as much product in the same sets of rack because I have my dimensions properly set up and my triggers properly moving, um, you know, that's a lot of ROI back to your system without ever talking about automation. Um, you, you get that set up, your replenishment triggers, uh, having those optimized. Now you're talking about much more optimized labor and service because you got the product on the floor at the right time ready for picking before orders ever come down to it. Slotting. Cubic velocity. I can't do cubic velocity slotting, which is which is really you know the better form of slotting as opposed to, as opposed to pure unit velocity. Um, I can't do cubic velocity slotting without um, having accurate dimensions. Um, and then finally, all the ergonomics that go along with it. So from a slotting perspective, I would like to zone it such that you know the heavier items are in the middle, so I'm not bending or reaching for them. Um, they're at waist level. So all those types of things are dependent on having good weights and dims. Um, and the cubic scan is you know a, a method of achieving that. So yeah, the data itself is super important. Yeah, it sounds like a common theme here is just really letting the, the data drive. And Brian, you said the, the CubaScan is, is a phase one. That CubaScan, I think, has a, a pretty serious uh, price tag for, for maybe some of the JV folks in there. Uh, Terry, what is it, like 20, I think you said 25,000, something like that? Um, yeah, it depends on, you know, kind of all the bells and whistles you get with it. You know, you can get the Cadillac model, and it's probably, you know, more um, – but you know what I what I would recommend to anybody starting off is is you definitely want to have your your weights and dims correct. Um, if the way that you need to go about that to start is a tape measure, um, then then use a tape measure. Um, as you start to get more and more measurements, and more and more skews, and more and more you know times that you need to take those measurements, um, then that'll tell you when it's it's smart to you know go ahead and start looking at a a cubic scan. But um, Right, and that's what Rob. That goes back to what Rob said: the repetitive tasks. Where can yeah. you replace just in the beginning? How do you replace those repetitive tasks by and leveraging automation? Got it. So forward thinking. What are you? I know we discussed a few different types of automations. Um, what's What's ahead? What do we see coming down the pike in the in the future um, as far as automations within this distribution and fulfillment space, guys? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really what's exciting, or, or I guess. For if you're a 40-year-old engineer, that's what's exciting. But um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's really what's exciting about, um, you know, where the, the horizon is on this is as technology has gotten, you know, significantly better, the commoditization of the technology has made it more 
viable from a financial return on investment perspective for more and yep. more people. So it's it's becoming a, it's not just Amazon doing it, it's a lot of companies can now cost justify putting it into place. Um, and as technology, things like AI have, have changed drastically, the ability to process, again, I talk about variability, the ability to, to process a lot of different variable type of things uh, through the use of, of AI and, and, and technology and algorithms like that. That's bringing things like robotic arms uh, to, to do repetitive tasks. Uh, it's bringing um, uh, optimization on how to store and how to, to process different orders to, to reduce the overall time for product to, to reach a customer, things like that. So, you know, I would say that, that, that the, the idea of robotic arms, the idea of vision picking systems, um, that's really going to be the wave of the future as, as technologies continue to advance. And Rob, it seems like, at least from, you know, from my vantage point, you know, the, the big technology move over the last, call it five to 10 years, has all been software driven. And, and I think that's going to continue kind of going forward. But, you know, there's, there's some mechanical stuff, like you were saying, with robotic arms. But when you go back to the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you know, most of that automation growth and, and innovation, in, in, in you know, my view, is more mechanical related. Um, you know, as advanced as you might get, you know, you started to get into PLCs and some different things that started controlling, but a lot of it was all mechanically driven innovations. It seems like while there's some mechanical stuff with the AMRs and with the robotic arms, I mean, the software is just moving faster than, you know, a lot of people can keep up with. Is, is, yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and we found that software is really the major differentiator with yeah. with, uh, mm-hmm. with with providers is, you know, the the the... The mechanical, the robots themselves, the, the the bots that roll around on the ground, they're they're becoming commoditized. They're they're just the mechanical execution of what the software is describing. So that's that's a great point. Is you know, as the software gets better, the the learnings behind it, you know, there's a lot of vision systems that as they pick a box, they've now learned that box and they will pick it better the next time. You know, all of that aggregate learning is really where the the leaps and bounds are occurring. So Caitlin's real question is when does this thing go live and destroy the human race and kill us all? Yeah, no, I mean it's it's funny. I think a good way to kind of summarize it, a lot of people ask us about lights out warehouses. You know, that's the concept that you should be able to do an entire warehouse process, lights out, no people, and all that. And while there are segments of the process that can be done and and automized and automated completely, I'm still a believer that the best use of people is the use of, you know, their brains. And we cannot, we we cannot uh, uh, recreate the thought and knowledge and decision-making that people are making. Um, so while there are processes that can be improved through automation, we're always going to need people to make good judgments, you know, uh, handle uh, exceptions and things like that throughout the entire process found within a warehouse. And, you know, it's all about augmenting and putting people in a position to be successful and really utilizing what makes you know, humans unique in that we can, we can process that type of information. So it's always going to be a a collaboration effort. It's just understanding how can we, how can we collaborate the best? Yeah. Go ahead, Brian. No, I've just, I've been saying for a while, you know, decades ago, people would always look to the warehouses and say, it's an unskilled labor. And, and honestly, in today's world, everyone on that floor is skilled. 
Um, they have to work with some sort of technology. And in a lot of cases, uh, to your point, use good judgment, Rob, and, and use and be able to handle all these different levels of automation, tech, WMSs. You know, there's a, there's a lot more sophistication out there today. No, sure. I, I just got a little that. nervous. I thought I thought Rob was going in a different direction there when he said lights out. I thought he was going phase three on all of us. We were about to. <laughs> it was over. It was a wrap. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. I don't think we have to worry about Terminator Two level of yeah. uh, level of stuff <laughs> quite yet. Yeah, and, and, and to Rob's point, yeah. I mean, you, you you do hear some things about you know different facilities. You know, I, I don't see that happening with anything other than a few really niche markets that have to do with really dangerous processes. Yeah. So when you think about certain processes where they're dealing with either very very caustic or um, explosive materials or, or things along those lines where you don't want people around them who are heavily exposed to the fumes or anything else like that. That's where I think you'll see some of those, you know, take a little bit more ground. You're not going to see that, in my opinion, with successful e-commerce distribution fulfillment. Um, that is not on the horizon um, yep. right now. So, I mean, just just to kind of put a bow on all this, I mean, look, you, you want to avoid over-engineering. You want to avoid really putting in more automation than is required, right? There has to be an ROI and you want to make sure that you're not putting in anything in terms of the automation process that is not going to suit your business for the foreseeable few years, at least until you get your ROI back and out on that initial investment. Yeah, it's, yeah it, it, we, we haven't really talked about in, investment, but you know, it's really hard to get an ROI less than a year. Yeah. So, you know, when you're thinking about what you need to support from your business perspective, I mean, by default, that's kind of telling you that your automation needs to support what you're gonna be doing, you know, beyond 12 months, right? Um, that's hard for all of us to crystal ball. Everything from volatile economies to how people are gonna purchase things to your own competitors, all those types of things. If you're not getting ROI within a year, again, all of your planning needs to ensure that it's including that 12 to 24 or even 36 month mark. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate it. This is this is a different, as I, as I mentioned when we first started this episode, this was a different direction. Uh, this is different for our audience. Uh, and I, I hope this really resonates. You know, there's a lot of decision making and people keep going around this buzzword automation, but clearly there's a time and a place for it where it can help your business, but you don't want to get too far out over your skis on it as well. Yeah, you always want to use it as a tool, not as a, as a cure-all. Yeah, um, augment. So, yeah. Augment, augment, don't replace, right? There you go. All right, appreciate it, guys. Terry, yep. Rob, thank you very much. Caitlin, you, you want to walk us out? Sure. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Terry. Make sure you check us out every other Friday at sippinandchippin.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.